For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's two up top this evening. That means leaving from the front or in the captain's armband is Patrick. So Patrick, how have you been since we spoke a fortnight ago? Hey Dan, how you doing mate? I'm brilliant, feeling good, jubilant, vibrant. Yeah, two wins on the bounce. We're looking a lot better. Uh, yeah, so I'm feeling good man. I can't complain. We're up to fifth, which you know is quite a shock in itself. But then five wins out of eight. Yeah, we're doing okay. So yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm Happy gl- to be here as always. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear. And also joining us is the returning Jonathan Williams. He makes his second appearance of the season. So Jonathan, how are things with you, my friend? They're very good, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, I'm feeling much better after yesterday's performance. And uh, since I only came in for the uh, first defeat of the season, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a Jonah. Before we talk all things Newcastle, let's get all the social media bits out of the way so we can dissect that and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Common News Spurs app where the podcast is available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at COIS underscore COM. We're on all the major audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. If you're not on one, let me know. I'll get it sorted for you. And if you listen on Apple, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating. Right, let's get down to the business, and that business takes us to St James's Park, as we managed to play the role of party poopers on Sunday afternoon. And Patrick, although it was written in the stars for Newcastle to win, Nuno and the boys certainly had something up their sleeve. Oh, thank God, because I mean, I was scared. I said it last week, and I said it on a few other podcasts I've been on. I just had a fear that we would see the new the new Newcastle and basically a new owner bounce. I mean, the stadium was rocking. I know I know a few fans from um, you know, from Newcastle. They said St. St. James was electric. We heard the commentators say how, you know, that basically apart from um the Euros final at Wembley, they've never seen an atmosphere as electric and as vibrant. And then lo and behold, after two minutes, Callum Wilson scored. Nice little cross from the build up play. We got in front of Romero and Dyer. And I was thinking, oh man, this is going to be a long, long day. But thankfully, we grew into the game. Uh, we shook it off. And then, to be fair, after the first five or seven minutes, we were comfortably the better team throughout the whole of the game. We completely bossed the game. The scoreline was annoying because, you know, we were 3 1 up at half time, very comfortable. Came out in the second half, pretty much still had our foot on the gas, but we weren't ruthless enough in front of goal. The final third decision making, or just basically turning it on and actually delivering it in that final third was frustrating me because at 3-1 and coasting, I always had in the back of my mind, if they get the next goal, we're in trouble. And lo and behold, they did. But luckily, it was too late in the day for them. And uh, we saw it off comfortably in the end, but we should have scored a lot more. We should have put them to the sword and did what Liverpool did, you know, against Watford on Saturday, scored five, boom, easy day at the office. Instead of, you know, a 3-2 scoreline, I know it's a win and we scored three goals, which is fantastic, but it should have been a lot a lot more comfortable than, than what it was. Yeah, you're right. But I think we've also got to remember we need to learn to walk before we can run, really, as Tottenham. We've had a naff September. We're coming out of that, thankfully, with a win against Villa and Newcastle. So I think it's going to be baby steps. I don't know if we've really got the calibre of players collectively to really put a team to the sword, a la Liverpool versus Watford. I don't think we're quite there yet, which is a bit of a shame. But 
you know, three points is three points. I know goal difference is also important, but, you know, at least we're winning matches. So let's kind of look at the bigger picture and at least we are on the front foot, shall we say. So, Jonathan, Patrick mentioned the roar. It was massive for the Newcastle fans. Do you think that that roar maybe Spurs froze literally in the first couple of minutes? That it was so loud, they thought, actually, oh, God, like, we could be in for something here. Do you reckon it was that simple? I don't know. I maybe they couldn't hear each other. Um, it was a it was a fairly straightforward, very direct attack from Newcastle, wasn't it? And you know to to set up the goal. I did think <coughs> um, Romero was perhaps a little a little on his heels, waiting for the ball to come to him, uh, and Wilson nipped in front of him. Um, but other than that, I don't know. What more we could have done to have stopped it? It was, in the end, a, um, a a fairly good, quick goal. And yes, we did look as though we were still on the bus, uh, frankly. But um, it, you know, in that situation with the fans uh, up there frothing as they were, I'm not surprised it happened. It was very Spursy, wasn't it? Well, yes. I mean, obviously, if someone's writing the script for the day. You're kind of thinking, what do Newcastle want? They want an early goal. And then you're kind of thinking, oh, well, we played our part there. But if it was totally Spursy, we could have really folded. It could have been an ugly 3-4-0 defeat against a new Newcastle, which isn't really new at all because it's not really changed in terms of personnel. It's still the crap Newcastle, which is failing to win a Premier League match. You know, you kind of think, hang on, where's this come from? But thankfully, that wasn't the case. We're going to dissect all of that during the show. But Patrick, in terms of the shape, what did you make of... 4-2-3-1 again. Is that kind of the way that we look like we're going to be going forward now? Not forward in terms of attacking, but in terms of shape week to week, shall we say. Because if we look at the 4-3-3 experiment, by the time we got to that Arsenal first half, that experiment was dead, wasn't it? It was a case of, I can't play this again as Nuno because I'm going to get ruined every week here. So do you reckon he's learnt the hard way and thought, actually, I need a 4-2-3-1 and that's the way we're going to go? Yeah, I think so. And um, I'm really liking it. I know it's it, you listed it as a 4-2-3-1 and that kind of what it is. But if you look at it, it is essentially a 4-2-1-3. Because uh, we had Endombele pushed up a lot for, you know, he was a lot higher yesterday uh, in the favoured role, which we've all wanted him in as the 10. So he had a bit more creative licence. He didn't need to track back as much. And he was pressing from the front. So he was on the front foot, closing down players. And um, I was happy to see him play the full 90. So that was good. He got another 90 minutes under his belt. And uh, to be fair, he was really good yesterday. So I think Nuno has kind of figured out that the 4-3-3 doesn't work. And uh, with Hoiberg and Skip basically mopping up and sweeping up everything, it also allows Hoiberg to push up a bit more. Uh, Skip can stay as the, the sole DM or the protector with the bat line. Uh, and it, again, you see Skip, uh, sorry, you see Hoiberg. Uh, I mean, he chipped him with a goal last week. And uh, yesterday he chipped in with a lovely assist through to Harry Kane, which, you know, uh, at the first instant was ruled offside. But then when, as soon as they showed the replay, I was like, oh, he's on. Because you could see from the blade of grass that Harry Kane was clearly behind the, the, the line of the blade of the grass and, uh, and the last defender was playing him onside on, on the further wing. And yeah, great goal, brilliant pass by Hoiberg. So Skip being there uh, allows Hoiberg and Ndombele to push up a lot more. And we're seeing a lot more creativity now from our from our flanks and our fullbacks. So I think now the balance is there with our you know, you've got Regalon on one side and then you've got Emerson on the other. They're giving us that width and creativity. And um you see the players are starting to feel a bit more 
relaxed and there's a, a lot more cohesion now, which we didn't see at the beginning of the season. So I think the the, the formation spot on. I think the personnel spot on, and hopefully going forward we can keep these guys fit and you know we just push on from there. Yeah, I mean, really, fitness is going to be key because we haven't really got much in terms of other options. You know, we're not stacked to the the rafters with spare forwards. You know, you need Kane and Son to be firing on all cylinders every week. You know, that's not going to happen every week, unfortunately. But you're kind of thinking we've got a decent first eleven. It's not. A title-winning first eleven. It's probably not even a top four first eleven if we're being really critical. But there is the bulk of a team which could get European football. It's now keeping those players fit and hopefully adding to that in January. But Jonathan Patrick mentioned Oliver Skip. At times he was dropping in and almost making a three. So it's kind of how Dyer used to play both roles in that kind of early Poch era. You know when we were really flying, you'd have the two Belgians and then Dyer sort of slotting in in the centre, but then also being a centre midfielder depending on when the shape was needed. So could you see something similar happening with Oliver Skip when needed? I, I, Other than his height, I think he looks really good, doesn't he? I mean, uh, uh, in defence, whether that's coming back or or whether he's operating in front of the uh, of the defensive, uh, the two centre-backs, I, I, do, I do like him. He's done really well. And um, he's everything we needed because, as, as Patrick rightfully says, it's allowing Hoiberg to go up a bit, a bit more, and, and maybe Hoiberg's a little bit more creative and putting a few more balls through. And all of a sudden, we look a different team to the one that didn't show up at Palace or Arsenal. Um, uh, we, we look so much more creative and and comfortable on the ball. Uh, it's 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 almost like a, a complete turnaround, really. Well, it is a complete turnaround. There's no sort of maybes about that because... If you use September's matches as a sample, we were rotten across 270 minutes of Premier League football. Maybe the first half against Chelsea where we chucked the kitchen sink and had nothing in the tank after the interval. So maybe 225. But yeah, it wasn't a great, great run of fixtures. And I think we've kind of, I don't know if we've stumbled across something or maybe it's taken a lot of deep thinking, a bit of soul searching and the pressure that Nuno was under quite early and thought to himself, perhaps if I don't get this right, I could be on the chopping block. And because of that, Patrick, two wins has the the ability to change the complexion of the club and the outlook quite quickly. You know, as you mentioned at the start of the show, we're fifth. We're on the same points as Brighton in fourth. Man United are stuttering. You know, there are other houses that aren't in order at the moment. So you're kind of thinking, if you get a run together, you know, two wins in isolation is great, but you need to really push on now. So can Tottenham do that? Or is it going to be a season of fits and starts, do you reckon? I'm hoping that we can do that. I don't see why not. I know, you know, we've obviously got our reservations about quite a lot of players and the personnel and even Nuno himself. But like you said, like you said, Dan, a lot of the other teams haven't got their houses in order. So why not? If we can be the best of the rest, I mean, I think there's three definite candidates for the top for the top four. You know, you're Leicester, oh, sorry, not Leicester, Man City, um, Chelsea and Liverpool are dead certs for the top four and they'll be pretty much fighting out for the title. When you look at Man United, who everyone pretty much had nailed in for that fourth spot or, you know, title contenders, you're not really sure about them at the moment, are you? So that spot is possibly up for grabs. And if we can just battle that out with the Leicesters and the West Hams and potentially your Arsenals, you know, why can't we be the best of the rest? That's how I'm looking at it right now. So realistically, I said that we'd finish in that fifth to eighth bracket. But if Man United are going to keep stuttering and they don't know what's going on, then why not try and sneak in um, through the back door for that fourth spot? So I don't see why not. 
But West Ham on Sunday will be a massive test. And that will be a really good litmus test for where we are. I mean, they finished higher than us last year. They've been playing some decent football and they've also been getting results. So people aren't really talking about them, but they're a good team. Um, and so, you know, that will be a good test for us to see where we are right now. That will be our, pretty much yeah, the hardest test that we've had since we've you know started winning again. Um, I don't see why we can't beat them. If, we're, if we turn up and if all our players turn up, then we should be able to put them to the sword. But defensively, we need to be a lot better. Like, you know, on yesterday, Eric Dyer, that own goal was just, it was just comical, wasn't it? We were cruising. There was no one around him. There was no reason for him to do what he did. I don't understand it. Uh, just a, la- a lapse of concentration yet again. He tried to header it out. He completely mistimed it. Or I don't know what happened. It hit his knee slash groin and went in. And just like that, we can see the goal out of nothing. So you know, against a be- sorry against a better team, those kind of things will get pu- will get punished. I mean, they were down to ten men, and we were still kind of struggling to get out of our half and put the game away. So yeah, West Ham will be a, a, a stricter test, but I don't see why we can't win that. Jonathan, did you have something to add there? Well, I, I mean, I don't. What is it with Dyer? He seems to have a howler in him, you know every so often, every third game or so. And, you know, what on earth is he doing? Why isn't he clearing it to the side um, from there? From Why is he going back toward the goal? I don't get it. I, to me, was, you know, should I be trying to head it or hook it, hook it wide <laughs> to clear it? I, yeah. It, what it made, is he doing? It made no sense. Exactly. It made no sense. There was no one around him. There was no pressure. It, it was just weird. You know, we were comfortable. 3-1 up. They were down to 10 men. They weren't trying to score. You know, they, they knew the game was done. And then just like that, we give them some sort of lifeline. I mean, you even saw fans walking out of the stadium and then they turned, they heard the chair, they turned around and then they started walking back to their seat. And I was like, mm. oh man, here, here we go. And I just thought, just, you know, we're going to throw away a game which was a dead rubber for three points after we had turned up. So luckily we didn't. But yeah, 3-2, it's not as comfortable as it should have been. And like you said, Jonathan, we need to chip away at our goal difference. Our goal difference is really poor. So just like that, we threw away a goal. I, I, that was, I was starting to get very agitated in the second half. I couldn't understand why Nuno didn't make any changes. Um, to me, Son looked really tired in the second half and was off his game. And surely when we were on top in possession... That was a time to bring on um, uh, Brian Heal and and see how he goes uh, attacking a defence uh, and feeding Kane and and to me it was a an opportunity lost. <laughs> I looked at it on the table this morning. We're currently uh, sixteen goals behind the top three. That's the worst of the top three. We're nineteen goals behind uh, Liverpool. I mean, already after this stage of the season. We're massively behind. And I don't think we're going to get into the top three. That's not my point. But my, my point is, yesterday, 3-1 up at half time, Newcastle on the floor, that was a chance to really push forward and do something to reduce our goal difference. And we didn't do it. And we should have done it. And that should have been the message that they got sent out in the second half with. I, we don't know what was said. But it should have been that, shouldn't it? I just, I can't see why you wouldn't say that. Well, let's expand on that point then, Jonathan. Do you think it's in Nuno's nature not to necessarily put teams to the sword? Like, I don't really remember Wolves really thumping a team by four or five. If there are any Wolves fans out there who are listening, 
please feel free to correct me. But the point sort of still stands that he's not really a team manager that will really just think, right, let's unleash the shackles and go for it and just add goal after goal after goal. It's more a case of not safety first, but if we get a win, then that's will do. And obviously, we're not in a position to do that will do because as you kind of alluded to, our goal difference is rotten after shipping nine goals and only scoring one in that three-match stretch. So is it more just managerial characteristics? Well, it, he does seem to be risk-averse, doesn't he? Yeah. And I, I just think it's it's about game management. You look at what's in front of you and what's happened in the first 45 minutes and you should be planning the second half accordingly. You know, we had a few guys. Romero had been uh, in South America for a week and a half. Son had been in Korea for a week and a half. I mean, that's that's a seven-hour time difference. He only came back Thursday. I mean, <coughs> he probably still wasn't quite sure what time he time zone he was in. I think after sixty minutes, he was he was almost a busted flush, and he didn't he didn't add anything to to us going forward in the last half hour. That was the time to take him off and bring somebody else on. I, I, I just don't get it. You know, I, I don't claim to be a, a footballing um, know-all or wizard. But if I can see it, why can't Nuno see it? Why isn't he doing anything? Why is he sitting on his hands? It, 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 it just, I find it very confusing, to be honest with you. Well, it seems to be a common trait that we picked up, maybe just on this show, I think other people have as well, that he doesn't seem to be one to make changes. I know that's something that Poch used to get beaten with as a proverbial stick. Why is he not making changes early? Whereas Nuno doesn't really like to make changes at all. So, again, I think it's just down to a managerial trait. It's going to be quite an infuriating one. Had we not got all three points yesterday, I think it would have been a real point of contention. I think we would have sort of really lambasted him and said, you know, why is changes not made? But, you know, I wouldn't say we got away with it because we won. And I think really we've got to sort of taking the whole circumstance of yesterday, the atmosphere, it could have been a lot different. You know, as I said earlier, the script was written, Sky were desperate for Newcastle to win, so it's glad that we kind of got that party-pooping element in the bag. But also, more importantly, Patrick, Undumbele's goal was obviously levels things in terms of parity on the score sheet, but more importantly to that, it really took the sting out of the Newcastle crowd. So they were vibrant for that first, what, 15, 18 minutes. After that, you couldn't hear a well, you could. What's the phrase? You could hear a pin drop because it was absolutely silent in St James's Park. So stealing <laughs> their their thunder and sort of silencing the crowd was quite important yesterday. Do you not think? Yeah, definitely. And um, it was a brilliant goal, man. I didn't see it coming. You know, no. and then Bale got the ball at the end, of, uh, basically on top of the box, and literally boom, and then whacked it into the corner. We didn't whack it. He actually placed it uh, into the corner. A fantastic goal. No keeper was saving it. And I was thinking, yes, this is what we need. Endon Bele, we know how skillful he is. We know how good he can look on a highlight reel. We know he's got these magical moments. But the goals, the assists, the, the game-changer moments, that's what we need to see. And that's what we've been saying. We said this year, uh, I mean, I said it, Carl said it, this year, no excuses. We need to see end products. And we are starting to see that. That was an important goal. It wasn't like the third or fourth goal when we're comfortably winning. It was the goal that changed the game. And then after that, like you said, the, the crowd were flat. They were like, oh shit, Tottenham are, you know, here to play. And then uh, we literally, yeah, they you could hear a pin. The only the only fans you could hear in the ground were our fans. And I thought that was fantastic. The fact that that was their coming out party and all you could hear was Tottenham fans. It was amazing. And um, I, I mean, uh, as much as, you know, Sky Sports is considered the best platform 
for entertainment and sports and they're so anti-Tottenham and oh, they're yeah, so yeah. pro-Newcastle. It was disgusting. I was like, is this, isn't this this meant to be a fair game where you're talking about both teams? All they did is just basically talk about Newcastle this, Newcastle that. Every second they were panning to the new owners. It was horrible to watch. It was so one-sided. So I'm so glad we put them to the sword. I just wanted more goals because uh, it was just nonsense. And they're so anti-Tottenham, it's disgusting. You know, if, if I had another platform to watch the games, I would turn off from Sky because they just hate us. And it's like, well, I don't understand why. We haven't done anything wrong. We've actually done things the more organic way and come through, you know, uh, without all of the money. Without, I mean, if Tottenham were to have a takeover, you can imagine how anti-Spurs they would be. But because it's Newcastle, they're all over them. It's just weird. But anyway, yeah, um, in terms of Ndombele, uh, he had a great game, man. Um he was one of my men of the match. I know there was a few uh, uh, players that obviously were probably ahead of him, but I think he really controlled that midfield. Uh, his passes were, were great. Um, there was one time when he almost slipped in Kane, if, if that would have came off, pretty much game over. But yeah, I just like the fact that he's actually contributing now. Uh, we all know the flicks and tricks and skills are fantastic to watch, but at the end of the day, we're here to win football games. And yesterday he provided some good key moments. Well, he did 90 minutes too, didn't he? That yeah, was, yeah, that, yeah he did. I don't think we've seen that before, have we, Robin? I can't remember it, to be honest. I mean, you get sort of 60, 70, but yeah, I can't remember the last time a full quota was uh, was registered. But Jonathan, is that the end and Bello we want to see every week? Is that the benchmark now? That Really, the number 10 role is up for grabs. There's a lot of people that could be knocking on the door. Him, Deli Ali, for example, Lacelso. If Indem Bele can play like that, it's kind of the keys are yours and on you go, really, because the, the role is there to be filled. Yeah, absolutely. It's his shirt at the moment. He's playing uh, well enough the last two games that um, you're not going to look to put somebody else in unless they were absolutely um, shaking all the houses in, uh, in training. So, uh, <laughs> to me, we found a system, whether it was luck, judgment, whatever, or just stumbled upon it, We've found a system that is working. The The key is we have to have replacements for everybody in the team <coughs> within that system that's also going to keep the system working. And um, if Ndombele wasn't fit, what would happen? Well, I guess today Ali would come in and do it. But is he the same sort of player? Well, Not, no. really. Not really. Not um, <coughs> really. And... You know, this is what we were saying after the transfer window, wasn't it? You know, the two things we didn't get in the transfer window was we didn't get a creative midfielder like Ericsson. We have still haven't replaced him after two years, and we haven't got a second striker um, to to cover for Kane. So <laughs> I, I do think I like the system; it's working. There's absolutely no reason to change it. But do we have the strength in depth in the squad that if one guy is injured? that another one can step in and do the same job, fulfil the same role within the system, and everything will work fine. I, I don't think we've got an answer to that. And they're probably, if if we're all being completely honest, I don't think we have no. necessarily got replacements in every position. I mean, um, if, if Heuberg goes, do we have cover for him? Well, not really. You might argue that Winks was inferior cover for Skip, but I don't know we've got anybody to replace Heuberg in the squad. So <laughs> um, there are concerns about it, but all the while everybody stays fit, let's keep running with it. There's no reason to change it, in my view. 
Oh, but, absolutely. You know, as I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But Patrick, does this come down to the whole point, the the painful transition, the one that seemingly is never ending, but it's almost the case that, as Jonathan alludes to, the first 11 is good. You know, it's going to be pretty handy from time to time, or actually most times, let's be honest. But it's only going to take one injury, maybe two, to derail things. And this is something we're going to have to sort of live with for perhaps two, maybe three windows, while the squad gets a little bit fatter at the same time. So, um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of squad depth, um, yeah, that is a big concern. That is a big concern. Um, really frustrated in the summer that we didn't get a, a a real backup striker, or that we didn't extend Carlos Vinicius's loan because um he would have been fantastic for those um long um, winter um European nights to 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 have to fly Harry Kane out all the time. Even though Harry Kane won't start, he'll probably have to be on the trip pretty much more often than not. Uh, you don't want to see Son and Kane on those benches, you know, on those cold winter nights when we're flying all around Europe. Uh, it takes a lot out of the legs. And obviously, there are star players and star performers, some of the best players in, in Europe. They, we don't need them to be travelling. But because of the lack of depth, they probably will have to. Um, you know, like um, like like Jonathan alluded to, we don't have a real replacement for um, for Endombele. I'm hoping the Celso can do that because whenever he plays for Argentina, he always puts in a man of the match performance. But yeah. the caveat yeah. the caveat to that is that he almost floats in on that left wing sort of side and he's not gonna get in there because Son is 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 the best left winger in the Prem. So if uh, if Lacelso can operate in that number ten role, fantastic. But for Argentina, obviously he he's more pushed out to the left and then has a free reign. But something's gotta give. We need we need to have the um these players have got to adapt to the system. Hoiberg uh, going down is a big concern. He plays a lot of minutes. And uh, if he does go, we are in big trouble. But, I mean, this is what Nuno's been paid to do. Um, I do His game management really worries me, like, um, like, like, uh, yeah. like Jonathan said. Yesterday, we should have definitely made changes. I don't understand why Lo and Brian Gill weren't playing. They should have gone yeah. that pitch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit worrying. It's a bit worrying. But at the end of the day, we're winning games. Let's not be too negative. We've won two on the spin after really struggling. And to be fair, even you know, both games, we look good. It's not like we won luckily or we scraped it. Both games, we were comfortable and should have scored more. Like I said, West Ham would be the real litmus test. But I go into this West Ham game with a lot more confidence than I would have had a few weeks ago. So, I mean, I'll take that for where we are right now. Well, let's keep looking at positives then, because Harry Kane has opened his account. And Jonathan, is this the hopeful marker where he wakes up? He puts all that transfer talk behind him, because for every time he didn't score a goal, everyone says his head's in Manchester. His head might still be in Manchester, for all we know, but at least he's off the mark. And now we can sort of say, right, let's look forward. Let's get to West Ham, get another goal, and then things will probably start moving in the right direction. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, let's face it. He got a he got a scored a good goal and uh, he got a good assist as well yesterday and he looked he looked much sharper much uh, much more up for it I would say and and was was on the whole was was much more forward on the pitch than he had been certainly in that rather terrible September that we had where he seemed to be most of the time by the centre circle um, and that was partly because he had no ball but all the same. He needs to be further up the pitch for us to do the work we need him to do. Um, it, I did laugh. Did you see last week that somebody suggested that Newcastle were going to come in for Kane uh, in January? Uh, it, I, you know, it's, I don't. 
I, I know they are now. They have the richest owners in the world. There's no, there's no doubt or question about that. However, I still, I still don't see if Kane doesn't want to be at Tottenham. I don't see why on earth he'd want to be at Newcastle, <laughs> unless it was just the money. Um, so, I'm not too worried about January. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But I, I think at the moment. Maybe City are cooling on the idea of paying 150, 160 million for Kane, which I'm pretty sure is the price that our chairman would exact from any suitors. Um, and all the while he's at Spurs, to me, that's a good thing. I, I don't really want to think about a, a Tottenham side without Harry Kane in it um, because he makes us so much better. He creates goals, he scores goals, his you know, you look at some of the other strikers in the league and their conversion rate for chances to goals is, is pretty rubbish, really. I mean, you know, the likes of Werner um, and that fellow who plays at Arsenal, it's, it's just, you know, hopeless in comparison to Kane, where it's every other chance almost where he's, um, where he's converting and scoring. So he is, without doubt, the best the club has had since Greaves. No question about it. And it will be a sad day if and when he goes. All the time he's here, it's great. Let's enjoy it. Let's keep feeding him because, you know, he does need feeding to get the goals. And uh, I want him to be as greedy and as hungry as possible. Well, that's it, Patrick, isn't it? It's all about supply, really, because earlier in the season, Harry Kane needed Harry Kane to set him up. And obviously, football doesn't work like that. So, he was coming so deep, it at least needed someone else to run on past him. That wasn't happening either. So if we can get that Ndombele Kane supply channel up and running each week, then we're on to something, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. And, and um, you know, we can't always rely on Kane and Son to, to pull us out of the mud or pull us through, our, you know, a game. Uh, yesterday, it was fantastic. Ndombele scored. Then it was Kane and Son, so the typical usual suspects. But... Um, you know, Lucas, we need more from him. But we also need, I mean, and I'm, we're seeing it now, the wing-backs, the full-backs are, are creating width, causing problems, getting up and down that flank. Regalon looked really good yesterday. That's the best I've seen him in a while. And also, Emerson is looking sharper and better. And he looks like he's getting, you know, a bit more accustomed and acclimatised to the league and to what we uh, do at Spurs. So, you know, long long may that continue because we need more than just Endombele or our number 10 providing those um those passes son and kane for the for the first time yesterday looked like the old son and kane yeah there was a link-up play there was a telepath you know there was a movement they you could see they were they were playing for each other yesterday and i haven't seen that before yes uh before you know yesterday's performance so that was nice to see kane also got an assist which jonathan touched on so yeah hopefully we can start to see some of the old spurs because i know we weren't great last year but if we can push on from that then you know at the end of the day, the Premier League is just so crazy and there's so much ups and downs. You just don't know what's going to happen. But all you need to do is concentrate on your games and let the rest, you know, let the chips fall where they're going to fall. There's going to be teams that mess up. There's going to be shockers. Leicester were a really good team last year. They they look out of sorts. I know they beat Man United, but they're not really, you know, the team they are. United are struggling. So we just need to do our bit. And um, obviously, hopefully we can... Then uh, uh, West Ham's, you know, um, trails as well because they are going to be a problem. They're a decent team now. Um, so, yeah, but going back to the question and point, 
100%, we need more from everyone, not just um, Ndombele. We need more from your Celsos, Dele Ali's, the wing-backs. Uh, Hoiberg uh, chipping in with an assist was nice. We need to see more of that. But just basically more team performances. We can't just rely on Son and Kane every week. That's not going to work. It certainly won't. But Jonathan, going two and up, Tottenham were certainly in the ascendancy. And I guess at that point, you're looking for them to get into the interval with their tails up. However, things then took quite an eerie turn at the ground as a Newcastle fan took ill. And I guess a huge amount of credit has to go to both Eric Dyer and Sergio Reguilon for their efforts in getting the necessary assistance to the fan. Yeah, it, it was good to see, uh, you know, straightforward, basic humanity come first over football yeah. from, from everybody. And and kudos to, to Reguilon and Dyer for their parts in alerting the referee and the uh, and the doctor to go across with the defibrillator. I thought our guys showed very well, um, just you know, just as as good people. Um, and I did find, leaving aside the whole medical incident, I did find it very strange that the referee was able to um, postpone rather than abandon the match, postpone the match, and yet the clock kept ticking. I couldn't quite understand why the clock kept ticking, and then. Even more bizarre, when it went to 45 minutes, why didn't, and um, I think there was a 23-minute break in all, wasn't it? Why didn't they declare that as half-time? Because everybody went off the pitch anyway. Why did, you, why did they come back, warm up for three minutes, play the seven minutes that was left, and then go back in for another 15 minutes? It, it made no sense to me. There should have been a, a provision for the referee to add those seven minutes that were missing from the first half to the beginning of the second half, and away we go. It would have made, well, the TV would have been happier, the fans in the stadium would have been happier, and everybody at home would have been happier. It just seemed a bit clunky and unnecessary to I me, think, but anyway. Well, I think you're right, it's clunky, but then you've got to consider that if you took seven minutes off the first half and put it on the second half, then there'd be an imbalance between the ends in which the teams were shooting at. There could be, you know the theory of sucking the goal in by the home fans. You know, the, the integrity of the game might be damaged. So, although it makes little sense, you've got to think that you can't have lost minutes. You need to complete the half to then get to half-time and play the second half. So, you're right in the sense that it was strange to see it being suspended, but I guess with it being an issue of a fan rather than what we had with Christian yeah. Eriksen. Well, it, I, I take your point about the ends. Maybe you play seven minutes, you know, as they were, and then swap. But there's no need no need to have a break because they've just been off for 23 minutes anyway. True. So, you know, it, it just, the whole thing was, was a little odd. It, 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 um, it just seemed as though they had no plan for such a scenario. Maybe they haven't. They didn't have a plan for such a scenario, but it did seem, seem odd to me. But money, let's talk about that because although Newcastle are in the money, it's kind of, just riled Tottenham fans up a little bit. Obviously, there was the display of chucking fake notes at the ground yesterday. But I just want to get your stance, both of you, on... Do you feel that... Well, I don't know. Are you jealous of Newcastle? Do you really care? Like, they have won the football lottery, but does that make you more frustrated with Enoch? Or are you waiting for the day that a Saudi owner comes and takes over Tottenham? Do you want a Saudi owner? I mean, what's your stance on that? Has it changed the landscape of the Premier League forever? Are you worried about where Tottenham fit in the top four big six discussion are they the prime target for Newcastle to latch onto and overtake it's an open question really there's so many sub parts to that but Patrick let's get your take first 
Am I jealous? Um, probably not. Um, I, I, I need to see how it pans out because yeah. it's all well and good these rich owners coming in, but it doesn't guarantee anything. We, I mean, most of the Premier League have rich owners, you know, like it's, I know obviously their, their money is ridiculous, but let's see how they spend it and what they do with it. So I'm not jealous, um, but I w- of, of course I would love it to happen to us because we're in a better position than Newcastle. And if an owner was to come in and buy Tottenham, and obviously they had money bags and they were looking to spend, we know where it could propel us to. So in that sense, yes, because Enoch, Daniel Levy, uh, you know, they don't really look like they're, well, it's not they look, they don't seem to really have the club's best interests from a footballing standpoint in terms of really pushing us and propelling us to challenge and, and fight for the top trophies. You know, as bad as we are right now, we're not that far away. If they really invest in the club, we know where we could be. And that's my gripe and my frustration. So, of course, I'd love for owners to come in and back us because we know where it could propel us and push us to. But, I mean, it's so early in, in Newcastle's tenure. So we don't... I mean, they might get relegated. They're that, that, that bad. They could legitimately get relegated. Like, you couldn't write it. It's so bonkers what happens in football. Like, basically, the worst club in the Premier League, bar the ones that just came up, is get is, has got taken over. And they're so poor. They could literally go down this year. So... You know, um, it's a weird one because who are they going to attract in January now with their status and how how crap they are? It's it's not. It's you know they could attract uh, a uh, basically a finished player that has a big name like a maybe like a Hammers Rodriguez or a Coutinho. But even then, when you look at them, would they really want to leave where they are now to go there? I'm not sure. So, um, in terms of that. No, I'm not jealous. Of course, I wish it to be us. And in terms of, you know, there's a lot of people talking about, uh, you know, in terms of being decent and money owners are coming in and for it to be, you know, uh, ethical and blah, blah. It's all nonsense, man. At the end of the day, if they were to come and take us over, I wouldn't have no complaints. It's all about money talks. Obviously, no one has any... We Every multi-billionaire and millionaire has probably done something unethical to get where they're going. You know, we're not the UN. We're not NATO. That's not really our job to police them. We just want our owners that are going to come in and back us and obviously put the football first. So, you know, credit to Newcastle. If that happens, it's great for the landscape of the Premier League. Uh, I don't see... Why does it have to be Tottenham that drop out? There's other teams that could also drop out. Arsenal, in my opinion, are in a worse <laughs> position than us. And then also, you know, you've got your Leicesters, you've got your West Hams. There's not just those teams anyway. We're fighting against... I'd say there's a top four now, top three, and then there's probably another six or seven teams that are fighting for those spots. Because even Aston Villa on their day can take points off anyone. So it's quite open at the moment. Um, so I know there's a lot of facets to your question, um, uh, Dan, um, but I hope I've answered a bit, most of them, really. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a great answer. So, Jonathan, the same open question is now to you. What's your take on, in general, Newcastle's takeover? Without trying to turn this into a Newcastle podcast, but the similarities with the, <laughs> I guess, dissension between owner and fan, Newcastle have got what they wanted in terms of Ashley gone, the witch is dead up there. We haven't got rid of our witch collectively with Enix. So, I mean... Mm-hmm. Is it a case of just keep waiting? Does this day ever happen? What do you make of all well, of this? For us or for, well, I, I think in terms of, uh, of Newcastle, there's no question. They're, they're, they're now owned by the personal investment fund of the Saudi royal family. Um, I mean, there's, there's deep pockets and then there's the enormous trough that they are um, uh, able to draw from. So it, 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 that literally 
uh, outdoes everybody else on the planet, quite frankly. They're, they're, there's no question that should they wish to throw billions and billions of pounds at Newcastle United, they can do it because they have the resources to do it. That's not in doubt. Um, will they do it the right way? Uh, possibly not. Um, will they be patient enough to say this is a three to five year plan uh, and let's get everything in, in place uh, and do it the right way? Possibly not. These are very, very wealthy um, autocratic people. They're not used to being questioned. Um, so it's who's going to be advising them on how best to do it? I don't know. Uh, I think it's very unlikely that they'll have a, uh, a Far Eastern gambling sponsor on the shirt for too long. I don't know how long that contract runs for, but that's going to go. Um, it can't be long before it becomes Aramco or the Aramco Stadium or whatever um, as, as a way of throwing more Saudi money at it. Um, and in fact, I think the new chairman is also the chairman of Aramco, isn't he? So um, that seems like a pretty obvious fit. It, it's hard to say from this stage. I mean, they were discussing last night on a uh, match of the day, who's going to come? And um, one of the pundits was suggesting they'll be going into the loan market um, because that's easier to get somebody um, rather than having to try and attract somebody to move clubs permanently to a side that's, what are they, 18th at the moment? Are they 19th, uh, you know, in the in the, uh, in the the league and looking at going down? So uh, I it remains to be seen what happens to Newcastle. Where does that leave Spurs in comparison? Um, I don't think we're in a bad place. Uh, I think the problem that the fans... With that all of us as fans have, is that Enoch is running the club as too much of a business with a concern for the bottom line. As the business owners, um, you can quite see their point. But as fans, we really don't care whether the club makes a profit or not. What we want to see is a, a club that wins everything on the pitch. And we came very close to that. And they stopped, uh, they didn't invest for a couple of windows and we lost momentum and now we're where we are. Um, I looked at the table this morning and I thought, well, the top three are away and gone. Nobody's going to catch them. Um, and how long can we hold on to fifth? Um, can we get to fourth? Can we hold off the challenge over the next weeks from West Ham and Man United? Well, let's hope so, but it remains to be seen. I, there's no question we're fighting it out in the dogfight between uh, four and eighth, uh, fourth and eighth at the moment. And that's where we are as a, as a team. We're not at the level of Chelsea, Man City and uh, Liverpool. We just aren't. We're not in, frankly, uh, you know, nobody else is at that level. Man United had this fantastic squad that's assembled, but but like us last month, all of a sudden they don't seem to have a system. They don't know how to get the best out of those those players. If they do find it, well, maybe they'll be the fourth one. Um, but at the moment they seem a bit uh, a bit rudderless. They've got all those fantastic um, 
players on the pitch, but they're not they're not talking to each other. They're not they're not doing it as they uh, as a team. Um, so I think Spurs is in an okay place. No different, perhaps, to how we started the season. Maybe a little better than how we started the season because some other clubs that we thought might be better than us this year haven't done so well. Um, but the gap between ourselves and the, the current top three seems as big as ever. Um, and all of us as fans want to know how we're going to bridge that gap. Well, not without more changes to the squad is the, is the only answer. Um, and, you know, we look forward to January just to see if we do do anything. Um, it would be a change, wouldn't it? We don't normally do much in um, in January, I don't think. We don't, but you get the feeling we need to because we left ourselves short in the summer and it would be, well, ludicrous to sort of just go in with one striker for the duration of the season. So if you can address that problem in January, and it is a big if, because also who's really for sale at that time of the season, not really your main targets. There are players available, but you're kind of looking around just sort of more out of desperation rather than desire. But Jonathan, in terms of Edic, if we were to offer a mitigating circumstance for all the flack that they get, and sometimes it is rightly so, but could you argue that building the stadium and the timing of it with a COVID flux or you know all of that in the world just went bonkers for however many months, it still is bonkers, but no one could have foreseen that and all the, the drama that comes with it, and obviously a stadium which is not collecting revenue for a year or so, I know the NFL is sort of bridging that gap a little bit with the funds that will come from the, the games that we stage and that and all boxing and Lady Gaga and all of that. But surely that yeah. is going to take a huge impact to the, the bottom line, if you will, that having an empty stadium and a big shiny stadium at that is not part of their business plan, which has probably hampered us in terms of transfers. Yeah, no, I, I, it'd be, it, I don't think it's possible to criticise how Enoch run the business. How they run the football team is a different question, but there's no question, there's no doubt in my mind <coughs> that that uh, Enoch, Joe Lewis, and Daniel Levy are very savvy business operators, and they will be squeezing as much revenue out of the new stadium as they can over the next two to three years, and that should all go into, well, a good chunk of it should go into the pot to help improve the team. Let's hope so. Let's hope so, anyway. Palace. Sorry, sorry, boys. Palace 2, Arsenal 1. There you, there you go. Live updates, Brilliant. Patrick, there. But, Patrick, Brilliant. let's... <laughs> I mentioned the NFL. Let's focus on the task at hand, Patrick. Let's not get too sidetracked. But um, there's a lot of whinging from people, and I'm quite neutral to it myself. I don't really care that much. But people are saying, oh, why have we turned our stadium and stripped it into an NFL venue for two weeks and all of this? Like... There's a sense that the money will slosh through eventually and that will help us. But, I mean, are you really bothered about this at all? Is it a bad thing that we're staging NFL games at the moment and sort of <laughs> stripping the legacy of the club at the same time? Because there's no real Tottenham signage, is it? It's just an events arena. You wouldn't know that Tottenham play there when the NFL are in town. So, do you have any stance on that at all? I mean, I don't really care. I've seen, yeah. I seen the tweets. I saw, one, I saw one that went viral and it goes... Uh, it's sad to see, you know, if you look at this, you wouldn't know Tottenham play here. And I was thinking, what is the problem? I mean, at the end of the day, if I know COVID happened at the worst time for us as Spurs fans, I know obviously COVID is a horrible debacle, something that none of us would ever envision and never want to go through again. 
but it really hit us as Spurs fans at the worst time because the stadium yeah. had just been opened. We were about to see if it was going to become the cash cow. Daniel Levy had used that as the excuse for ages for not investing. Then it was also going to be the reason why he could invest. And then, boom, the stadium was closed. Nothing was... So he's kind of had an excuse where I know every owner's got a reason to say they couldn't invest them. But Daniel Levy had the best excuse because the stadium wasn't open. So there was, you know, that was meant to be our cash cow and our money generator. Now it is open. Let them do their thing so we can really see if they're going to use that money to invest. I have no problem with, um, you know, it being an NFL game, them using it for boxing. I think it's a good thing for Tottenham if the money does start to filter through. But we can't tell yet because it's too early, if that makes sense. So I have no problems with it. Let's Tottenham use it. You know, it's still called the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So, I mean, I watched, I, I don't even like NFL, but I got sucked in because it was at our stadium and I watched it on Sky Sports. And it was quite interesting hearing the Americans, uh, you know, we're going live to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And you know, hearing them say it in their accent, it's still branded as our stadium. So even though these Americans may have never heard of a Tottenham Hotspur, they still are subconsciously talking about our team. So let, let Levy do what he's doing in that sense. And if the money does come through and we have more money than we used to, then fair enough. Um, you know, at the same time, as much as I dislike Daniel Levy and I hate what he's done to the club in the sense of where we are now, let him use the stadium to our benefit. And then if it doesn't work, then cool. But I don't see the point of us getting angry now because we built we built the stadium for this. So let us use it and then see what happens next. Absolutely. I mean, also, there's a sense that if we are going through this transition that we keep talking about, we kind of just need to hang on in there because if this money is going to slosh through eventually, I don't know, two, three years down the line, we need to be in a position to spend it, but not in a position where we're a mid-table team in the bottom half of the table and your sort of targets are much lower, even if you've got a nice bit of money. You know, you could be in the same kind of Newcastle situation where you've got a massive trough of money and it won't be as big as Newcastle's, obviously, but... You can't really attract the names you want because you're not at the stature which you need to get to. So it's kind of, if there is a drop-off, let's stop, make it one where we're outside of Europe every season. We can't have that. We need to just sort of be on the fringes. And then if the money comes back as promised or as hoped, then you can sort of pull the trigger and catapult yourself back into the top four. That's the long-term plan. Just need a little bit of patience. Right, before we wrap up things, let's chat Vitesse Arnhem because we're back to the Europa Conference League on Thursday. And Patrick, how strong are you going in this one? Is it time to give Dane Scarlett another start from the off? Didn't quite get the service last time round. And a lot of people saying, oh, well, he's not cut, cut out yet for this level. And it's, you know, he's got a lot to do, but it's a bit harsh on him. Would you give him another chance on Thursday? Oh, of course. These are the games, like I said earlier, I don't want to see Son in that lineup, or I say lineup on the team sheet. I don't want to see Kane on the team sheet. Let the fringe players and the youngsters play um, and let them gain some experience. Give him the full 90 minutes. It was really harsh when people were saying that, um, you know, he's not cut out and not qualified. He's like 17, 18 years old and he was living off scraps. No matter how good you are, if you don't get the service, what are you meant to do? Um, but yeah, let let him build up his confidence in these games um, and let the fringe players, your Winxes, your Delis, your, you know, um, those kind of guys, your Doherty's, your um, Rodens, let them play. I don't really want to see much of the first team uh, playing, to be fair. Uh, we've got a tough yeah. game on Sunday against a good team. Uh, let them play. Uh, we should have enough in the tank. We're in the Conference League, for God's sake. It's not Europa League, not the Champions League. Let the, let, let's see what some of the other guys are about. These are the games where we should be seeing 
you know, like these are litmus tests for these guys. Let's see what they're about. Let's see how well they've adapted, what they're doing in training. Let them have a good run out. And then, um, you know, Nuno needs to trust his squad. I don't see that with Nuno. I don't see that trust and that belief. Like when I look, I don't want to compare him to Tuchel, obviously, it's not fair, but Tuchel will throw in any of his players in games and you see, you know, there's something there. He trusts them, he lets them play. It's time for Nuno to trust his guys. I know at Wolves he had like a core 16 or 17 guys, didn't he? And he played them literally in every game. It's not going to work at Tottenham. You need to trust the squad and go a bit deeper. So, yeah, I don't want to see Kane. I don't want to see Son. I don't want to see Hoiberg. I don't want to see all of these main players, Romero's, you know, the guys that we rely on. I want to see the fringe players get a good run out. Well, Jonathan, is it time for the supporting cast to do their bit? Because if we win on Thursday, seven points from nine, it's not quite over the line in terms of qualification for the round of 32, but then you've also got two home games remaining out of the three. So really, if we can do this part of the equation, it's almost Europa Conference League job done in terms of the group stage. Uh. If, if it wasn't for the fact we've got West Ham um, on Saturday, on was it Saturday Sunday, isn't it Sunday? Sunday. Um, uh, and we've lost the, or the three matches we we got stuffed in were all London derbies. I might have been more inclined to to play some of the of the first team starters uh, just to get us further forward against uh, in in the group stage, but. I, I do think now is the time <laughs> for us to see, to keep the same system, this 4 2 3 1 that we have. Let's keep exactly the same shape and let's have different players in there and seeing how they perform in this new system. If that's the way the club's going to play um, as a first team, it should be how we play as a second team as well. And let's, <laughs> let's see these guys have their chance and. and how are they going to go? How are they going to do um, as that that new formation? Um, and, and let's give them let's give them a good go. Um, I I don't. <coughs> I really want to see us beat West Ham at the weekend, so that's why I'm cautious about too many of the first team being involved on Thursday. But I do want us to progress in this competition, or do I? I don't know. It's a. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost saying I would rather we concentrated everything on the Premiership and not worry so much about the conference because the Premiership is how we are judged. It's how we're going to attract new players. <laughs> Getting to the semi-finals or the final of the conference is what expe- is expected of us anyway, but there's no... There's no payoff for that. There's no, we're not advancing the club forward. As nice as it might be to win a trophy, it's a bit of a hollow trophy. To me, the Premiership at the moment is everything. If we can stay fourth or fifth, we've got a good chance of being able to to grow from this situation. <coughs> well, and I think. Sorry. So, yeah, I think really if you kind of look at the Europa Conference League in the sense that if you can win your home games, draw your away games, that's 12 points from a possible 18, you'd qualify there. Yeah. So really, as you say, Jonathan, if you can make a raft of changes for Thursday, the supporting acts, the second team, if you will, get a draw. It's not great, admittedly, but it just keeps things ticking over. And then if you beat Musa, whatever they're called, no disrespect to them, 
but you should be beating them away anyway, so that's another three points in the bag. And then you've only really got to pick off Vitesse again, or uh, is it Wren? Yeah, God, done my research in this one, haven't I? But yes, um, we're kind of almost there, not to be dismissive of the group itself, but as I say, the logic is win at home, draw away, you'll be absolutely fine. So I think with four points out of six already, we've got a little bit of a buffer. It'd be great to get seven out of nine. It wouldn't be a crisis if it's five out of nine because the fixtures land our way in the second half of the group stage. So, and I think that you're absolutely right, Jonathan, that it really is about the Premier League as a whole. That's the main focus. West Ham is a huge focus, as Patrick says, because really they're going to be knocking on the door for Europe. That's quite a swing game for us. We can take points off them. It aids our plans even more. So I think, yes, yeah. you look at the, the context of the week, Changes on Thursday, please. Full strength on Sunday with the same system. So at least everyone's getting used to how we're meant to be playing. So if the first team do pick up injuries, then there is an element of interchangeability. It's not a case of, well, we were playing 4-3-3 in the Open Conference League and now I'm a fish out of water. So you've got to think about that. But I think you're absolutely right, Jonathan. Let's just not go as strong in late midweek and let's hopefully put all our eggs in that Premier League basket. And with that in mind, very quickly, I want your predictions for Sunday. So Patrick, hit me. What have you got? 3-1 West Ham. Oh, sorry, no, no. no sorry, sorry. 3-1 Tottenham. 3-1 Tottenham. Right. You, you know what? I had in my mind... I had, Sorry. I had in my mind that we was away to West Ham. <laughs> then I said West... Oh, no. I, I've, had a, I've had a stinker. You've had an absolute mare. 3-1 man, to Tottenham. So, right, OK. Yeah, yeah I've had a mare. Because I was trying to be smart and say uh, West, West Ham first and then Tottenham. But forget it. But yeah, 3-1 Tottenham. So, right. Yeah, okay. strong. I'm, I'm leaving that mare in. That's not hitting the cutting room floor. So, <laughs> Jonathan, what have you got for me, mate? Um, I'll go two one Spurs, um, uh, but I probably would accept one all. Okay. Also, yeah, I think I'm going. I don't think there'd be, there be too many goals. They don't have a lot of goals in them, but they defend quite well. Uh, mm-hmm. I reckon it might be a, a Desmond two-two. I've got a feeling there will be goals actually. Um, with our propensity to concede. And they do like a... You know, Antonio's always good for a goal, especially this season. It's never a dull counter, actually, is it, West Ham Tottenham? There's always goals in that, I feel. So, I don't know. It's not great. Might be the first draw of the season. I'd love it if we can hit 2-1. I've just got a nasty feeling it'll be 2 all. If I'm wrong and we win, then great. Right, that's the show for this week. Needs to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my two pod squad members. Jonathan, thanks again for your time this evening. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yeah, I really did. Thanks very much, Dan. Enjoyed it. And best wishes to Patrick. And Patrick, of course. Thanks oh, for... nice one. Yes, there you go. Thank you for running the channels this evening and wearing that captain's armband. Yeah, always a pleasure. I might, like, yeah, Carl, like I said uh, the other week, Carl might have to give me the armband now. I mean, it's up to you guys, the coaches, but yeah, I'm looking good out here, coach. So, yeah, that's <laughs> what I can say. But, nah, it's got a it, it's been a pleasure, honestly. <laughs> That's, that's it. He's got to wrestle me now for that. So, yeah. Um, but no, it's been a pleasure. Always have fun. Um, it's great catching up catching up and chopping up with you boys. And as long as we win, um, yeah, it's going to be happy spirits tonight. Absolutely. Right. With that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And until next time, come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts. Download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.